great to be. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Rate Debate Recreate Girls and Gays. I'm Sammy Purcell. And I'm Logan Color. And we're back for episode 12 of this season. Damn. Wow, I know. Hey, Logan. Yes, Sammy. Are you any good at roller skating? Um, fuck yeah, I am. <laughs> I used to. <laughs> oh man. I used to roller skate all the time when I was a kid, and this one near my house, it was like, it was like the place that everyone had their birthday party, <laughs> and they would always have a roller skate limbo, and I would always win. Oh, I can totally see that for you. <laughs> um, I was pretty good at roller skating as a kid. We would have like sparkles school nights. Shout out to sparkles for anyone who knows. Um, but then I had to get really good at roller skating for a reason that we're going to discuss today. <laughs> so wow. for those of you who are new to this show, um, what we do here at Rate, Debate, Recreate is each week Logan and I pick a musical uh, based on a category, we rate that show on a scale of 1 to 10, debate which one is better, and then think of one aspect we would recreate or change. Um, so, this week's category is Skater Boys. To the As tune in, of Avril Lavigne. Yes, he was a skater boy. She said, see you later, boy. And my show is Xanadu. And my show is a little bit more of a stretch than Xanadu, <laughs> but it is it The Drowsy Chaperone. Yes, there I is a skating works. scene in The Drowsy Chaperone. And that skating scene is also kind of like part of the premise that sets all the conflict up too, I'd say. Exactly. I don't think it's that much of a reach. Like, we've definitely reached further for categories. Well, yeah, so. and though, I was like, one thing that would have made perfect sense, but I just don't care about it enough. What's that other show that is another pool skating show? Um, oh, um, Starlight Express, I, right? Yes, Starlight <laughs> Express. <laughs> I've never seen it, but I was, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Andrew oh. Lolo Baloney. Oh, he got he gets made fun of. Um, in yeah, Zandu. it's fairly funny. Sorry yeah. to that man, but it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so let's get started. We'll start with a bit of summary. I guess I'll go first if you go don't know what Xanadu is. Um, <laughs> so Xanadu, oh, Xanadu, Xanadu the musical is a musical comedy. Uh, it's got a book by Douglas Carter Bean and music and lyrics by Jeff Lynne and John Farrar. And it's based on the 1980 film of the same name, starring Olivia Newton-John. So the musical opened in 2007. It was nominated for a couple of Tonys. I think it got like really good reviews and was like super fun. People really liked it, but it wasn't like nominated for a ton of stuff. Mm -hmm. But the reason why this is such like a weird musical and like such a funny thing to pick. So Xanadu the movie, which again came out in 1980, starred Olivia Newton-John, got like horrible reviews like the worst reviews and like this is not new information people know this but like the worst reviews that a movie could get but what i didn't know is it is apparently actually the reason that the razzies exist is because of xanadu oh my god i did not know that is <laughs> because they were so bad so they were wow. like let's make this no. the worst movie awards <laughs> Um, but the soundtrack was really popular. Like, it has electric light orchestra, like, shots number one. 
Um, so this musical is like a parody of the 1980 movie, but I think part of why they wanted to do it also is because the music is fun. And the music is yes. fun. Um, and it makes fun of it makes fun of the 1980 movie, and it pokes fun at Greek mythology a lot too. Which like now I guess I'll get into the actual story at hand, so you understand what that means. Um, but so the premise of Xanadu is it takes place in 1980, like the movie, and there's this artist, Sonny Malone. He's like a chalk mural artist guy. I don't really know what he does. He's drawing with chalk at the beginning of this. And he's just, like, really dissatisfied with life and his work, and he decides he's going to kill himself because of this. <laughs> um, I'm not laughing at that. I know, I know. <laughs> um, yeah, so his Greek, or his sidewalk mural at that point after he makes that decision comes to life, basically. He was painting the Greek muses who, in Greek mythology, were the daughters of Zeus. And Clio, who's the youngest muse, basically, like, convinces her sisters that they're going to inspire Sunny to be, like, a better artist or to do something, like, great. And there's a bunch of, like, movie stuff in here because, like, basically in the movie, Olivia Newton-John, like, shows up out of this mural. They don't explain why she's Australian. They don't explain why she's, like, dressed the way she is. She's on roller skates. Like, we don't really know why. Nothing is explained. So, like, in the musical, they kind of couch that in Clio being, like, oh, I have to, like, disguise myself. I know what I'll do. I'll wear roller skates and leg warmers, and I'll speak with an Australian accent. And all the other muses were like, oh, my God, like, genius, just, like, perfect. And she changes her name to Kira, and she goes off to try and convince Sunny to, like, basically follow his artistic dream. Um, and she wants to do this so she can basically get this thing called Xanadu, that none of them really know what it is. But it's, like, super special. Zeus is in charge of who gets it, and they all want to get it. So yada, yada, yada. She convinces Sonny that he can, like, make a roller disco, basically. (laughs) Um, And there's, like, a lot of, like, back and forth because the guy who, like, owns the building where they want to make the roller disco wants to turn it into apartments. But then apparently, like, a long time ago, Clio also disguised herself once more to, like, try to convince him to make a theater or whatever. So, like, he recognizes her and Anyway, all this stuff goes down. It's like basically joke after joke after joke, making fun of the movie, making fun of Greek mythology, making fun of whatever. And then at some point, it all goes bad. Clio's like two oldest sisters at this point have been trying to like sabotage her basically and make her fall in love with Sunny, which she's not allowed to do. And all this stuff happens. <laughs> it's a lot going on. And then they go off to Mount Olympus at some point because Kyle's like, oh shit, like I've fallen in love with you. This sucks. Like I can't do this. And then they go off and like Sunny follows her to Mount Olympus <laughs> and they try to implore Zeus to like let them be together and like let them fall in love or whatever. And it's really complicated. And basically they just like end up in love at the end and they get Xanadu. Which all it is is true love and the ability to create and share art. Yay. <laughs> it's really hard. <laughs> I feel like this musical's hard to describe if you don't like understand what's going on in the movie. <laughs> yeah. Which to be fair, I've seen it. I don't understand what's going on in the movie. <laughs> um but I'm gonna give Xanadu nine out of ten Kelly Butler or Carrie Butler whispers. Particularly the whisper she does. So she's like making fun of the way how like uh like sigh and breathy Olivia Newton John is <laughs> during one song called Suddenly at the very beginning of her verse, it's like a really like kind of like 
sensual, sexy, like, kind of love song. And she goes, like, fuck, I'm <laughs> 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 And she's saying, look at me. So that's, like, the kind of affect I was thinking. And I also had two other ideas for this I wanted to bring up. One of them was going to be, the rating scale was going to be, um, bitch, I don't know your lives. Just something Hermes says to her at some point. And also, I thought about making it not nice ladies, because I can't, I don't know if it's Jackie Hoffman or the other muse, but at one point during Evil Woman's, one of them goes, not a nice lady. <laughs> <laughs> so I just wanted to give those honorable mentions. <laughs> Quick question. I actually have never seen the movie. How is it like actually the movie on stage, but kind of like self-aware that it's parodying it? Or is it like very different in an actual parody of the movie? It's, like, a little different, but it is, like... <sighs> like, is it the same premise and everything? Yes, it's the same premise, basically. Okay. Like, the muse comes to life and is like, hey, go create art, except yeah. in the musical, like, they're like, this is so stupid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay, I love that. Yeah. Um, I didn't... I, I honestly didn't really know it was a parody of the movie. I thought the movie was also... Because I, I haven't seen the movie, I thought it was also, like, kitschy and weird and campy. And it was just, like, putting that on stage. I mean, but it is it's... kitschy and weird and campy, but it's... I don't know how to describe this movie. It's, like, weird... Less self-aware, maybe? Not self-aware. And it just, like... <laughs> I cannot even... Like, this musical is silly, but it makes sense. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, they just don't, like... Not that you need to explain everything, but it's just, like, why is she Australian? Where did she come from? Like, why is this happening? I feel like it's been a while since I've seen the movie. I didn't rewatch it for this, but I feel like they don't even, like, really bring up, like, memes. Like, they don't, like, talk about anything. Like, they just are like, yeah. this is happening. Here we are. And that's it. <laughs> yeah. Fair. So, Drowsy Chaperone. <clears throat> I honestly, I did not at all expect this, but when I was, like, watching both shows for this and prepping, there are, like, a lot of similarities between these shows. They are, yeah. Drowsy Chaperone is also very parody-y, except more of, like, the, like, 1920s um, musicals and, like, the uh, Follies, like, that kind of stuff. It's also really interesting because it very much is, like, a show within a show, um, and there's a lot of fourth wall breakage. So the I'll start with, like, the outer, the outer layer of okay? it, um, which is that you're following the protagonist, who doesn't even have a name. They're just referred to as Man in Chair, and... He is feeling down, um, as he calls it, blue, um, just sad for no particular reason. And he's in his living room, he's drinking, and he decides to put on uh, the record for his favorite musical from the 1920s, which is called The Drowsy Chaperone. So then, with the alcohol and his imagination, the show comes to life in his studio apartment, and... It breaks the fourth wall, but, like, he is on the audience's side of the fourth wall. Like, the show, the show actors and actresses of the Drowsy Chaperone don't see him, but he does interact a decent amount with the show by adding, like, little tidbits of knowledge here and there. It's, it's a really interesting premise. Um, the premise of the Drowsy Chaperone itself follows Janet Vandergraaf, played by Sutton Foster, um, and she's this, like, very famous actress that... Um, wants to give up her career for love, quote-unquote, but that's not actually really the case. It, it's very, like, fairly modern Millie vibes of, like, there's mix-ups, there's this, there's that. Like, 
just a lot of stuff and it all just somehow magically comes together and it doesn't really make sense and it's not really supposed to make sense. It just is like fun and it also is really, I would say, self-aware of like, I feel like that's going to be the name of the game today, but I do think both of these musicals are very self-aware. Yeah. Um, but it's it's very like, like the Drowsy Chaperone musical within the musical is pretty bad at a lot of points. Like it's just not yeah. that good, but it's like, it knows that and it's really funny. Um, and the man and chair will comment on it a lot. So that's the basic premise. It's basically Janet choosing between her career and her man and there's mix-ups and stuff. I am going to give the Drowsy Chaperone Drowsy Chaperone, 8 out of 10, Plumbles, um, which is from my favorite song from the show, the titular song, Drowsy Chaperone, sung by Beth Level, who gives a master class in how to win a fucking Tony Award in this one song. Um, and at the end, she's like doing her big browsing ending, and it's like, as we stumble, bumble, <laughs> bumble. And she like th- needs to like think of another word, and I was like, it's so good i also had an alternate um which is also from that song i'm i'm like so honestly like 90 percent of my love for this show is in that song alone (laughs) but the other line i love in that is when she's like six excruciating continents yeah antarctica oh please (laughs) sorry i almost said out of antarctica oh please but i'm gonna give it eight out of ten that's perfect. I'm going to give the Drowsy Chaperone, I think I'm going to give it 7 out of 10 Columbles. I think this show, I'm going to get into this more, I think this show is something like I have to watch it. The music, mm-hmm. I do like stumble along, but like the music has never really stuck with me. And like like you said, like yes. it's kind of supposed to be bad, so it's like, yes. eh, you know, does that really critique, but 7 out of 10. Um, and I'm going to give Xanadu 9 out of 10 um, Carrie Butler whispers. Yeah. I love Xanadu. I actually, Sammy, so I was like familiar, I had seen a lot of videos of, of it and I'd listened to it, but I had never seen it before, um, preparing for this. Oh this is my, I lost my Xanadu virginity and I loved it. I thought oh it my was God. so fun. I'm so happy. It, I think that, yeah, we can go ahead and get into talking about, I ended up loving the show. So nine out of 10. Well, that's great because I have like actually a question and like, I, I, this is good. You can help answer this. And you kind of already have, because my biggest thing with Xanadu and like part of why I take off like the point, because I love Xanadu. It is like one of my favorite things in the entire world. I think it's so funny. Um, is like, can you really enjoy it if you haven't seen the movie or like, is it as funny if like, cause it is so, there are so many things like the whole, like, mm-hmm. Um, like the whole Australian accent bit and like other little like tidbits in there that are like making fun of the movie. And I was reading this review from The Observer from 2007 from John Hellkern. And he basically like, he came to the conclusion that the show is like too good. Like it's not bad enough to like <laughs> achieve like the absolute ridiculousness of the movie. It's like too good yeah. for the source material. And like the point of like Xanadu is that it's bad. And I was kind of like, yeah. I mean, the show is, like, really polished and well done and everyone's super talented. And, like, but, like, do you want I – I don't really know how to get past that because I, like, see what he's saying because it, like, does, like, make a little more sense. But, like, I was kind of like, what do you want from them <laughs> like, at that yeah. point? Like, what do you want them to do? But I also think, like, 
I've like when I was reckoning with this, I was like, maybe I love this movie or this musical so much because like I am the target audience. I've seen the movie. I love Greek mythology. I fucking ate up mm-hmm. Greek mythology in elementary school. I still do, honestly. Yeah. And I love musicals. Like, that's everything they're making fun of. Besides, like, a few L.A. jokes. Like, they make fun of L.A. stuff. I'm like, okay, whatever. That's not yeah. that. Whatever. I don't live there. I'm fine. But basically, I'm, like, the target audience for everything. So I was like, maybe that's, like, why I love this so much. But you've never seen the movie and you still thought it was funny. But, like, I did. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, okay. Also, like, I so I knew that Olivia Newton-John was in the movie. So I, I feel like I picked up on the Australia bit. And also, like, I think it's the exact same fucking bit we talked about in our Grease episode. Yes. <laughs> like, yeah. So I think they could even just be making fun of that in a more broad way. So, uh, broad way, broad oh, way. Wow. wow, that was cool. Wow. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I thought it was so fun. Yeah. I think it's like, I. so one thing I love about both of these shows is I think they are both just like musical theater escapism comedy. And I love that. Don't get me wrong. Like, you know, I, I use, not always, but like most of the time my tens have gone to the much more like, you know, really deep, go there emotionally, color purple, Same. next to normal, fun home kind of shows. And I love those. And I, I do think that like, there's more like, emo- there's just more like mm-hmm. to it. And I fucking will see a escapism great fun, glitzy, hilarious musical, 10 days, 10 times out of 10, 10 days out, out of yeah. the week. <laughs> and I know, yeah, and I know that I, like, actually, I think I rated Phantom, like, zero and then 10, so I don't know, but, like, I would, if I'm gonna, like, go to something where I don't really have to think about it that much, and it's just, like, silly and over-the-top and fun, I'd rather it be, like, Xanadu than Phantom of the Opera, you know what I mean? Yes. Like, I'd rather just, like... Because Xanadu has an actual, like... You're still really invested. Yeah. There's stuff going on. You get it. It's I, I won't say it's like really deep, no. but it's fucking funny and it's you know it's a lot of a lot of great things. Also, Cheyenne Jackson and Carrie um, Butler like come the fuck on. My God, I so Cheyenne Jackson. I I texted this to you. He is like I don't want to gender this, but he's like Stephen Pascal where he sings and I'm like wow that's just a man and it's a man who can sing <laughs> higher than I can. <laughs> Wonderful. Like, he's so, I love his voice so much. And Carrie Butler, like, sometimes I think she can be, like, I don't know. She has, like, a really specific voice. And sometimes I think she can be, like, miscast a little bit when they're not, like, letting her use, like, how funny she is. Because she's so fucking funny. And I feel like she's, she she, or at least, like, early on, like, kind of, like, catch me if you can-ish. Like, you don't get to be, like, that funny in that part, you know? Yeah. And she's so funny. Like, she should just always be funny. And she's so good at, like, using her voice to, like, comedic effect, as evidenced by the stupid Australian accent she puts on. And, like, they're like, <sighs> like, it's so good. <laughs> she's just so good at it. Do you know what show I actually saw her in that was a big comedy role for her? What? That she slayed? Fucking Beetlejuice. Oh, who is she in Beetlejuice? She's, you know, the, like, couple that moves in? She's the, the mom. Oh. Or the, like, woman. Is that Catherine O'Hara? Wait. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. She's incredible, Sammy. She was, I, honestly, it's not, I'm spoiler, it's not going to be on season two, but I have to do Beetlejuice for season three, because I did not expect to like it as wow. much as I did. I've never listened to it, so we should do and that. And it has, like, a huge cult following. Like, yeah. people that like Beetlejuice... Like, you know how Wicked, there's, like, compilations of every single alphabet. Like, they, people do that for Beetlejuice, <laughs> and it has, like, a big following. Wow, that's, 
That's amazing. So another thing I wanted to like just like bring up, and I think this works for both shows as well, is I saw this tweet today. I it was like scrolling through and I think I skipped over it because I was kinda like, okay. But it said something to the effect of like, I don't understand how you can like claim to love musicals, but then like make your musical thing like the butt of the joke. Like make musicals the butt of the joke and like the musical you're making. And I was kinda like, mm-hmm. isn't that kind of a parody? But I couldn't really tell what they were talking about. I think maybe Schmigadoon, which I don't know if you've been watching that, but I haven't. I haven't, but I really want to start. I think it's funny. And, like, we talked about this a little bit with, like, um, a very Potter musical. If you really love something, you have to be able to be, like, this is, like, the tropey bit of it, or this is the Dom bit of it, or this is, like, this aspect is silly. Like, I don't remember exactly what the Andrew Lloyd Webber joke is in Xanadu. I can't. I watched this, like, a couple days ago. But... It's something to the effect of, like, what's that feeling where, like, you just feel, like, empty inside, but also, like, really cheesy, and it's just, like, all this stuff, and someone goes, <laughs> I think that's called Andrew Lloyd Webber, and she goes, yes, like, <laughs> great feelings of Andrew Lloyd Webber, and, like, I saw a lot of things on there that were, like, wow, like, another Andrew Lloyd Webber joke, like, those are tired, and I was, like, well, like, he did make a skating musical, so it kind of makes sense that they would make fun yeah. of this in here, um, but I was just kind of, like, I don't, feel like that's like i mean ever to each their own like i understand like you would feel like, i also wouldn't would... personally say that that's overdone no i don't think so either but also i just don't think like parodying a musical should come from like people who like musicals and i think that's why mm-hmm. drowsy chaperone and xanadu both work because i feel like i don't think like xanadu is even really parodying musicals it's parody it's just like shitting on people who watch musicals like there's a point at the beginning where like it's because it opens with cheyenne jackson like doing his chalk drawing and being like well i'm never gonna be an artist anyway and that whole thing and he's like talking to the audience like he literally looks up he goes oh hey <laughs> like he just like saw them all there um and the way the stage is set up is super cool it's like um it looks like a small little roller thing almost like the seats are like surrounding a pit basically where the stage is um so like a lot of the audience members are, like, in the actual show a lot of the times because, like, all the cast members, like, pop up in all the space. But he's sitting there and he says something like, art isn't for the well-educated or the intelligent. It's for people like you. (laughs) (laughs) And I like how, like, because I feel like people who, like, assume, like, people who go see Broadway are, like, oh, we're highfalutin or we're, like, going to see, like, art. And it is really expensive. And, like, Broadway's, like, elitist and all this other stuff. And I just like how he's, like, yeah, this shit is for you, idiots. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I love how it opens with that. And I just think this show, I was reading a New Yorker review of it. It's from a guy named Hilton Owl, Hilton Owls. And he called Xanadu, this is a long quote, but I like it. It was like, probably the most fun you'll have on Broadway this season. One reason being that everything about it is so resolutely anti-Broadway. And he just basically said, like, Xanadu is far sleazier and cheesier than conventional musical theater, and it points out just how tame other musicals are. And I don't know if I, like, think it's, like, I don't know, like, I feel weird about the use of the word tame there. Like, I don't think Xanadu is necessarily, mm-hmm. like, wild, like, we're getting crazy. Like, I don't know, maybe because I associate that with, like, overt sex, and I'm like, this isn't, like, Spring Awakening, where we're, like, getting naked on stage. <laughs> but, um, for the most part, like, I... I really agree. I just think I disagree with the word choice a little bit, but it's just like absolutely so cheesy and it is sleazy. It's like kind of like kitschy and it has like, I don't know, I would say like 
unsavory is the wrong word, but like things that might be considered unsavory by like a stuffy Broadway person, you know, like it's got like men playing women and like, it's really, really like, I don't want to say really, really, but a fairly diverse cast, I think, like in a lot of different ways, like Jackie Hoffman is there. They're like casting older actresses as muses. They're casting men as muses. There's people of color in the cast. And, like, the main characters are still two very white, like, very conventionally good-looking people. But at the same time, I feel like, in a lot of ways, this musical is kind of like a fuck you to Broadway. Like, oh, you want to be our finds? Like, we're going to, like, roll up the disco balls, and we're going to, like, dress up and wear makeup and wear leg warmers and, like, make fun of Andrew Lloyd Webber and do all this stuff. And I just love that. I think it's really fun. And... I don't know. I just feel like if you like something, you should be like willing to take the criticism of it in good faith. And yeah. I totally agree. I think that like, I personally, I'm a huge, huge fan of parodies yeah. in, as a concept in general. I, don't, I think that that can, coming back to our very first episode <laughs> And a theme on this podcast, this like lowbrow versus highbrow. I think parodies are often thought of as like almost like the extreme pits of lowbrow art. And I think you can like in movies, for example, like the Scary Movie franchise. Like I'll say it, Scary Movie Three is my favorite movie of all time. <laughs> you said that before. Like <laughs> I, I think that parodies, they can like poke fun at the things we love. I love horror as a genre. I love like scary movies and I I watch scary movie and like pick up on all of the kind of like dumb tropes all of the like things that are really consistent in movies about houses and scary movie too like a haunted house about um about like things that are more like mystical and scary movie three like the ring and the tape that you like yeah I think that there are really fun and like while it's kind of dumb and farcy, also pretty poignant critiques or or just like poking fun at things that we love, and I I see that almost as like a love letter to to the genre to whatever you're like poking fun at because Xanadu absolutely is poking fun at Broadway and is like an anti Broadway Broadway show mm-hmm. and like it's so Broadway exactly like, <laughs> it's, and it's both it's yeah. holding both of those truths and I love that because like. They, the people writing it clearly love Broadway and can also, like, laugh at it and, like, laugh at themselves for loving it. Yeah. No, I totally agree. And I feel like parody, like, like you said, like, maybe it's considered hits, but I don't think it is. Like, there's bad parody. Like, there's, like, you know, not a t- like not another teen movie, which at some point is, like, basically just she's all that with weird stuff. <laughs> and then there's, like, I think Xanadu is, like, a really good parody. Yeah, and I do, too. And I hate to say it, I've never seen Scary Movie 3, but I'll take your word for it. It's so good. Okay. Um, Anna Faris, her acting is just on another level. Regina Hall, also, like, un- unbelievable. Okay. I do love Regina Hall. And then, this is the last thing I'll say, and this isn't really connected to the musical at all, but, like, I guess, like, this is kind of a direct line to Town, and, like, Town is the exception, but, like, why do we make more mo- like musicals about Greek mythology? Which brings me to like, why hasn't Hercules been adapted to a stage musical? I just think like Greek mythology is weird and sexy, and there's like motifs built into the source material. <laughs> like it's all there. It's like all dramatic emotions, love, like war, tragedy. Like 
I don't know. Why, why don't we like adapt Greek myths into musicals more often? It's obviously worked out fairly well. <laughs> like that's a great question, and you know that a really recent one that like potentially still might go to Broadway, Ooh. but was off Broadway. Was do you know that they adapted Percy Jackson oh. as a musical? Oh my god, no. So here's the thing: it's gotten it's a show that has gotten like I think it first came out off Broadway in 2014. But, like, had another off-Broadway run in 2017 and then 2019, I think. Mm-hmm. So it's had, like, a bunch of workshopping done. And at first, the the initial ones have gotten really bad reviews. I've never seen it. I've yeah. listened to the music. Um, George Salazar's in it, who I, which I love. Okay. Um, but apparently the later ones are, like, pretty decent. Huh. Okay. No, wait. It was on Broadway. It was fucking nominated for Tony's. But it was in the 2019 season, which was, like, the last one okay. before everything shut down. So it was, like, not actually a competitive year. Okay. I have, like, completely Like, Aaron Tveit was, like, the only oh, nominee, right. I think. <laughs> Way to go, Aaron. Like, good job. <laughs> I forgot about that. So maybe it wasn't good because they said no one is going to get a nomination instead of at so least someone. <laughs> it's just, like, we're not even going to, like, make Aaron Tveit compete because there's no point. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Okay. Well, besides, like, talking about my bop list i don't have too much else so yeah move on to drowsy yeah let's do it okay i have a lot of thoughts i think that one thing that these shows share is a similar parody element of musical theater and of (laughs) broadway um which i think is really cool uh i'll start off one thing i'll start off is talking about just like the setup of the show i love the breakage of the fourth wall i love man in chair as a character as a protagonist I think that he turns what could have easily been like a four or five out of 10 show into an eight out of 10. Um, really, truly. Like, I think that component is just so cool. And like, I see a lot of myself <laughs> in Man and Chair in the way that like, I identify a lot with Man and Chair because like, Sammy, if you and I were to sit together in a room, which we have done this before, That's but true. we were to do sit down and listen through a cast album or watch a musical together and it's not, like, you know, an actual, like, we're, we're at a show. Like, I wouldn't do this at Broadway or something. <laughs> but, like, we're just, it's just us and we're chilling. Uh-huh. I would absolutely interject and be like, oh, my God, did you know this about this actress? Or, like, oh, my God, this person got nominated for a Tony or Like, adding in all these bits of information, like, b- being so invested in this, like, art form that you love. I do that, too. That you, like, have to, like, <laughs> yeah. you have to interact with it. And he's literally alone in his living room, and it's like his mind is bringing this to life, but he's still, like, interacting with the the actors and actresses, and I think that's really cool. I really love that element of it, and I love it because, like, he is... I I can't think of many, like, fourth-wall-breaking shows where, like, he is on on the side of the wall that the audience is on, (laughs) and I think that's so cool. And it kind of feels like you're in on this little secret with him and you're on this journey together. So I love that framing of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in a really similar way that we were just talking, not only is Drowsy Chaperone a parody of musical theater, but I think it's also a massive ode to musical theater. Um, and one thing that I think that they're able to do by framing it with Man in Chair as like the protagonist is explore a little bit of like what musical theater can accomplish so at the beginning of the show it basically starts with man and chair like drinking um and 
talking about how he's feeling a little blue for no particular reason, basically just like sad. And because he's feeling blue, he wants to like cheer himself up. He puts on his favorite musical theater cast album. And at the end of the show, the show ends and he's just left alone in his studio apartment, exact same circumstances as before. And it's kind of like unspoken, but he is like, he's decidedly better. He's more optimistic. He's less blue. Theater has like transported him to this different world that he wasn't in before he started it, even though the show's kind of dumb and he acknowledges that, but it doesn't matter. I think this show literally just like in the character of Man in Chair showcases the benefits of escapism in theater and like lifting his mood, bringing him to another world. Like, still allowing him to empathize with these characters, but, like, ultimately just making his life a little bit better. Yeah, that, I mean, is this show me watching Xanadu? Maybe. (laughs) But I do, I think that's why I said, like, I think this show is so much better when you watch it, just because I don't think that really, like, connects when you're just kind of, like, listening to the music. You're like, okay, why is this random man talking every once in a while? But I think, like, when you watch it, you do definitely get the sense that he's just like, oh, like, everything's a little bit better now, even if it's just temporary. Yeah. I think also the, the like, the fourth wall component of him listening to the show instead of it just being the show provides some cool opportunities. Um, I really love the record skipping part. <laughs> I think it's in Toledo Surprise. Yeah. Um, where, like, his record starts, like, I don't what's it called? Is skipping. it skipping? It's yeah. like stalling mm-hmm. and he has to like make it go forward. <laughs> and so the whole cast is like we got it and like until he like unstops it, doing the same choreo kind of in like a reverse yeah. forward thing. Um there's also like his his power goes out, so there's like a blackout that happens. Um so yeah, I think that they're not only is it a cool way to frame the story? They're also able to do some like fun things on stage with that, which I think is really fun. The parodying of musical theater. I want to talk about this quite a bit because there's so much like this whole, the whole premise for Drowsy Chaperone to me feels like they went like people in a writer's room or something went, okay, how can we like, how can we fit as many different tropes and musical theater references into a, 1920s fake show that we're making at once and they like literally fucking do it all um there's like the mistaken identities thing where janet is insecure in her relationship so they go (laughs) robert goes skating but is blindfolded and she like tries to test him by acting like this french woman named mimi and asking him about his relationship with janet and he's like so loving and loves it like talks about how much he loves her but then like, throughout this dance, she's, he, like, is reminded of Janet through Mimi, mm-hmm. which it obviously is Janet, <laughs> and so he kisses her, but that, like, that's a whole mistaken identity of Janet, like, thinking that he would have kissed Mimi. There's, like, dream sequences that come up. There's a lot of spit takes. Um, I just learned this term recently when I was researching, but there's, there's a deus ex machina, oh. which is, like, <laughs> I never knew what that was. <laughs> Um, it's basically when there's, like, when the plot is just unexplainably solved and, like, makes for a happy ending that doesn't really make sense, but you also don't really question it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's, like, an English butler, a, a Broadway guy with his, like, Follies production, the, like, ditzy chorus group of girls, there's the comedic gangsters, the best man that's, like, kind of, like, not there. <laughs> and then my favorite part is Janet's, like, 
her drowsy chaperone. Of course. And drowsy in this is code for tipsy because she's always drunk. <laughs> I love that part um, with the ice water. She's like, oh my god. What do you do when someone asks for ice water? <laughs> ice water means vodka. Ice water, vodka. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The drowsy chaperone character is my favorite part of the show because it is such an overt and hilarious parody of like Judy Garland, Liza Minnelli, like the the older age mm-hmm. of like Broadway divas. And Beth Level somehow channels all of that <laughs> into an unbelievable... I, I was watching the YouTube video of her performance for it, and I saw this one comment that said she is, like, she's giving Judy Garland parodying Liza Minnelli parodying Judy Garland. That's really meta. Is there... It's like a mother-daughter thing, too. Yeah. <laughs> but it's the whole thing is, like, it's basically the, like, high-booking actress that you get in a show and they like demand to have a huge rousing anthem. It doesn't even have to make sense necessarily, but it will, will like bring the house down 11 o'clock number. So yeah, it's, it's just as like all of the different tropes that you get in old twenties and, and even less old, but like, especially I would say the twenties like era of musical theater, um, making fun of all of that. Yeah, and then, okay, so then the last thing I'm going to talk about is really just the actors and actresses in this, because I think that they, I, I can't, I won't say inseparable for all of them, but Beth Level is inseparable from the Drowsy Chaperone to me, like, she is the Drowsy Chaperone, <laughs> um, and it's funny, because then, like, about a decade later, she would go on to play an almost copycat role in The Prom. Yes! Um, Beth Level played Meryl Streep's character in the movie, in the version of the prom and like i thought meryl actually killed it in the movie i thought she was phenomenal but like still didn't even bring a hair close to beth level but i don't i don't know maybe i'm just like obsessed with this woman but she has this like comedic timing this brassy belty voice like all all of this like packagey stuff all in one and like she's so in on it like she is able to like wink to the audience just by singing and acting and without having to do some overt thing. And it's so amazing. I love her so much. Um, I think she, she, she won the Tony for best supporting actress in this. Um, I also though, I think Sutton Foster was incredible. She's great. Um, I think she is such a good Janet. Um, her two main songs are show off and, um, Oh, monkey, monkey, monkey. Well, yeah. What is that? Uh, the Bride's Lament. Okay. Um, and I think she's really, like, does a good job of playing the, like, almost damsel and distress scene kind of vibes. Danny Bernstein I played him. Adolfo. Yes. Me too. Adolfo, still to this day, is, like, one of my top dream roles I would love oh, to you play. You'd be a good Adolfo. I think <laughs> that that would be a really good type guys. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the, the cast was just incredible. I love this show. I don't, like, like I was saying, I don't think it's, like, I'm giving it an 8 because I love it, but I don't think that, critically, I would put it on the same level as some of the shows I've given a 9 or a 10 to. But, like, I think I gave Sister Act the musical an 8, and, like, I really didn't have any flaws with it. I just didn't think it, like, went there in a way that other shows do. But it's so fun. It's so Broadway, so glitz, so glam you're going to go see that show and have like an amazing time and leave in great spirits. And like, sometimes I think that is just the point of theater. So, um, love that. Love it. 
Okay, I'm just going to quickly do um, Necropolis because, I'm sorry, this cast recording absolutely slaps. Electric oh my God, Orchestra is so good. So it has, like, a lot of um, songs from the movie, obviously, but I think they also just, like, added some ELO songs in, if I'm not mistaken, like, songs that were not in the movie that they had, like, later. Like, Strange Magic, I don't think is in the movie. Um, But so we've got I'm Alive. You know what? Great opener. Not the one from Next to Normal, but I would almost say better. I don't really like I'm Alive wow. Next to Normal. It's like maybe my ah. least next to normal, my least favorite Next to Normal song, so maybe I'm a little biased. But um, So we've got I'm Alive. Magic. Great song. Just like a good pop song. Evil Woman. I didn't talk about Mary Tessa and Jackie Hoffman that much, but they are like comedic geniuses. This is where they say, not a nice lady. And they're so funny. And like, they just like kill the like evil sisters coming after the younger sister part. Great. Um, suddenly is the one with all the whispering, which also like China Jackson sounds so hot on that song. I can die. <laughs> um, Strange Magic is just like a fun song. Don't Walk Away is my favorite song on the show. Um, Shane Jackson actually kills it, just like the end breakdown where they're clapping and he's just like riffing and running all over the place. So, so good. Next we've got Fool, which was like, okay, so I was in the show in high school. Um, that's why I had to learn how to roller skate. I don't think I mentioned that. <laughs> <laughs> but I hated the song Fool in high school. Absolutely hated it because it's really hard to sing and I didn't think I sounded good. So I would just like, dread every time we got to it because I was like, fuck this fucking song. But listening to it now, <laughs> this song fucking rules. Like It's like, I really don't love It's like so much fun. It's so good. Willie came to say hi. Um, hi, Willie! He's coughing. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> next we got The Fall. I really like The Fall. It's short. It's nice. Suspended in Time, which I would argue is like the only like kind of like almost serious moment in the show like it's actually kind of sweet even though she sings it while she's on um pegasus and then the final song xanadu it's just really good it's great yeah it's a great one um i'll give my bop list um one thing i'll i'll say about jazzy chaperone as you mentioned at the beginning decidedly less bops um yeah (laughs) We'll say that. Wait, <laughs> also, one thing I wanted to mention, because I think we've talked about this on the on the show before, I don't know the exact stat right now, but, like, there's some stat around from the year 2000 to present day, um, Tony Award-wise, there's only, like, a handful, a small handful of shows that um, won Best Musical and did not win Best Book. And one of them, um, what beat Drowsy Chaperone? Oh, fucking Jersey Boys won Best Musical this year. I'm not, I don't like Jersey Boys. Um, wow. But Drowsy Chaperone won Best Book and Score. So that was one of the, one of the ones. Anyway, Fancy Dress. I honestly, it is a, it's a slow burn, but it's one of my favorites from this show now. Um, it's like this, it's like a song that it's, it's kind of the opener, you could say, and it kind of introduces all the characters. It's the opener of the Drowsy Chaperone, at mm-hmm. least, like the show within the show. <laughs> yeah. And it introduces all the characters. Um, Cold Feats, mm-hmm. Show Off, that is just so iconic of Sutton Foster being like, I don't want to show off anymore, and like showing off, showing <laughs> off to the fucking max yeah. in every way possible. 
Um, As We Stumble Along, Best Song in the Show by Miles. I Am Aldalfo, one I really want to sing. Accident Waiting to Happen, I think, is actually a really cute song. Um, that's the that's when she is impersonating Mimi. Yeah. Um, and is like they're skating and yeah, it's really cute. Um, and then Bride's Lament, uh, is the monkey song. <laughs> I think is really funny. It's like a dream sequence. And then I do, I do in the sky. Um, which is there's so this will actually come back a little bit in my recreate, but um, I think they're what I I'm perceiving them to be parodying like the random character of color that doesn't really have a role but just like is there and then comes in at the end and there's like a random like side character which I feel like was a pretty big thing and I think exists today in a different form than it did back then but in the opening song there's like this random person comes in she's like I'm Trix the ABA Trix and then you don't really hear about her until the very end and she like comes back and swoops in with her airplane and marries them off. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Don't they <laughs> That's also, my like, isn't there a part where they, where the guy, the man in chairs that talks about like Aldolfo and he's like, these kinds of like stereotypes would not be. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's also a part where he's like, it's about something, something and a gay wedding. Well, gay wedding has a bit of a different meaning today <laughs> than it did, yeah. but back then it just meant a grand old time. <laughs> Yeah. Also, Man in Chair is definitely gay. Like, he, he kind of, like, pines after, in his mind, um, the, the actor who plays Robert. Mm-hmm. Um, so, love that. But, yeah, that's my bop list. Those are my thoughts on Josh's chaperone. I think it's fun. I think that, to me, like, and maybe this, I don't know. I don't think so, but maybe some people will think that this kind of, like, discredits the show a little bit. I think Drowsy Chaperone is the perfect high school show like that's what the I knew it perfect high school show to put on yeah. um and I think we need those like high schoolers <laughs> love musical theater and they can't you know not all high schools are cool enough to do Xanadu oh or gosh. edgy enough to do like Chicago or or Spring Awakening so I like hope high school some Spring of us <laughs> do they do Spring Awakening I think I've seen a couple productions <laughs> I mean I haven't personally seen but I've seen of them <laughs> Uh, also, like, even, like, Rent, I, like, yeah. my boyfriend, John, was in a production of Rent in high school. Don't they do, like, junior versions? The straight, the straight boy who played Angel called John a faggot. <laughs> Regular Matt Damon. Wow. Oh, my God. <laughs> Jesus. Um, okay, also, before we go on to recreate, one thing I wanted to add really quickly is that I was watching Drag Race this week. Mm-hmm. And this week's episode... The fucking guest was none other than Cheyenne Jackson. Uh, yes! I and I was like, him. I just watched him in Xanadu. Uh, Me too. I love him so much. Also, It's crazy that he is, like, so mainstream, and I feel like most people don't know that he is, like, a Broadway boy. I first. Would say that. I feel like people, like, are you, you remember when he had that run on 30 Rock where he would, like, make Jenna mm-hmm. jealous because he sang so well? <laughs> yes. And I feel like people, like, know him from TV stuff. But he's now, like, an American horror story heartthrob. Like, yeah. His family is so cute on Instagram. They're a good follow if you need a good follow. (laughs) He's very chubby little twins. They're adorable. (laughs) Okay. So, moving on. um, I'll do my recreate. Yeah, I want to hear it. (laughs) I don't know. It might be a stretch. So, I was trying to think of, like, something more serious I could do. And I was having a really hard time because Xanadu is ridiculous. But... So, 
as I was having a really hard time being like, what can I actually change about this? Like, blah, blah. I was like, wait, maybe the serious thing is to consider if there's like a serious way to interpret Xanadu. So, bear with me. Like a story about muses, the Greek muses, and a guy, probably not named Sonny, but figured out, and inspiration and art, but like not making fun of all those things. Like if we were going to like make this a not parody, I guess. Maybe was the answer I came up with, but we would have to change some things. So, I was thinking, I just kind of went through like some categories. So I'll start with like the overall vibe. I think it still has to be, like, really over the top, but, like, not like Moulin Rouge is over the top, and not really like Phantom is over the top, but maybe a little bit like Les Mis is over the top, or, like, Hunchback of Notre Dame is over the top. Like, a period piece, so that's what I'll get to. Mm-hmm, the thing. It mm-hmm. has to be a period piece for this to make sense. So the setting. I'm thinking it has to be set <laughs> in the Middle Ages. I tried to... <laughs> so... Bear with me. I tried to find, like, a time when art was not necessarily, like, popping, you know? So, like, the Middle Ages had a lot of, like, religious art. It was called the Dark Ages. Um, this Italian scholar, Petrarch, um, shout out to Italian scholar heads. Um, he called it the Dark Ages, or apparently coined that because he said there's, like, no good literature. But also, like, art was fairly prudish, based on what I've looked up and what I've looked at. Art historians hit me up. But I figured we need to stick Sonny and, like, rename him, probably, in a slightly more serious era where, like, artistic expression itself is in a rut. Which I think, like, that kind of works also, because I feel like people shit on the 80s, which I I think is inappropriate. I think the 80s were fine. At least, like, I like things from the 80s. But I do people, I think people tend to be like, oh, the 80s were, like, a shitty time for music or a shitty time for whatever, you know? So I feel like that tracks a little yeah. bit. So maybe we've got, like, this, like, student of art history Sonny Malone, who wants to be an artist, but he's, like, a little ahead and or behind of his time, and no one's, like, taking him seriously. So, like, he wants, he's, like, maybe we should, like, look at the statues that the Greeks made, or, like, look at, like, the human body and, like, study that more seriously. And everyone's, like, bleh, no, no, no. And so something happens, like, phantom-style Amuse shows up, and we'll get into that. (laughs) So... Another category I thought we'd have to change is, like, the musical styling, so obviously we can't do, like, electric light orchestra. Um, and I didn't want to <laughs> say... I didn't want to say Alan Menken because I don't want it to feel like Disney, but mm-hmm. at the same time, like, if it was Alan Menken with his Hunchback era, like, that could work. Or, like, a nice Mitchell, like, we could Hades turn it up. That's oh, yeah. So we could, like, bring that in. And, like, that's also modern, but still, like, makes sense. In, oh, like, my God, the, like, jazz muse trio. Yeah, and, like, it doesn't have to be jazz, but, you know, just, like, something like that, I guess. This is very bare bones at this point. But, so, then the next category we have is Xanadu. Like, what is Xanadu? What is, like, the plot of this musical? So, I did some very rudimentary research on Wikipedia. This is what I've come up with. So, like, in the movie and on the show, well, in the movie, no one knows Xanadu. Like, what is Xanadu? They name the, like, roller skate that, which I think they do in the show as well. But in the show, it ends up being, like, love and art, you know? It's also been, like, used as a name for idyllic places. Like, in Citizen Kane, the mansion is called Xanadu. But it seems to come from a description of a place in a Samuel Taylor Coleridge poem, um, Kubla Khan. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, the capital of Kubla Khan's empire. 
Um, and Kublai yes. was like the editor. which I know. Oh my god! Because I play this game called Civilization, what? and recently I played as Mongolia and made a, a city named Xanadu, and I was like. What? Is, is Xanadu based off a Mongolian city? And I looked it up and saw, read all that stuff. Well, I knew who Kublai was, but I did not know I did not know Xanadu existed in the Mongolian Empire. Apparently it did. And like, well, I don't know. Actually, maybe it did, but it did in this poems world. So. Or they um, called it Xanadu, and then I think that became like a popular name. Yeah. The so, so the city wasn't actually okay. called Xanadu. So but the, it, it's like the, the name that people okay. refer to it as. Because the poem goes like, in Xanadu did Kublai Khan a stately pleasure. Don't decree that poem. We've all heard it. Yeah. Um, so when Kublai Khan was an emperor, or like the whatever that they would have called an emperor in the mm-hmm. Mongol Empire, the Mongol Empire, it would have been like twelve sixty, which is in the Middle Ages. Yeah. So if okay. the whole point is to like get to Xanadu, maybe Sunny again, gotta change his name has, like, a chosen one arc of sorts to find this, like, paradise where his artistic expression will be accepted? I don't know. And, like, he awakens and... Or it's... (laughs) Go ahead. (laughs) What if it's, like, the real Xanadu is the Xanadu within us all along? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, that can be be the end, sure. But he, like, awakens this muse to inspire him and take him there. And, like, we could take it super seriously, like, a Phantom or a Miz or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. It may be over the top and based on something like silly, but we're all like really into it and we're taking it super seriously. So I think if that's what you got to do if you want to make real kids serious. Fair. And I don't think we need to. I don't think so either. I was having a rough time this week, you guys. I'm so sorry. <laughs> that's what I got. <laughs> no, I still like it. Um, okay. <laughs> okay. Um, okay, my recreate. Well, first, before I start my recreate, I just want to, um, part of the premise for this is that I kind of had forgotten about this, and when I went to go to my recreate, it was literally open on my notes app on my phone, but apparently, like, a week ago, I had woken up at 3 a.m. and, um, jotted down in my notes just five words. Oh my god. And it was Man in Chair Cinematic Universe. (laughs) Please please continue. And honestly, I don't exactly remember what I was trying to go for at 3 a.m. when I woke up, but um, I do, I have work grown from there. So my basic concept is that, um, so Drowsy Chaperone is a musical about Man in Chair, like, being transported back I think it takes place in, like, the 2000s, mm-hmm. Man in Chair's time, and then it's 1920s is when the musical comes from, um, that he's listening to. So I was like, what if they're, like, what if, what would the drowsy chaperone of today be? So, like, in the year 2100, Man in Chair is, is listening to a musical <laughs> from the 2010s. Okay. What would that be? And what are the, like tropes and the things that they would bash like what all that would be so first I'm just going to go into some of the like thought process I had and then I'm going to say the name of the musical and some of the components of it okay so um okay so I was thinking like the Jazzy Chaperone like who are the like Judy Garland the Liza Minnelli's Mm -hmm. like of today like kind of brainstorm just as an inspiration board kind of thing like Sutton 
ironically enough, <laughs> Sutton Foster. <Sure. laughs> um, like Audra McDonald, Ben Platt, Aaron Tveit, Patty Lapone, mm. like that group. Um, then for the vibe, I'm thinking like of the different shows that I want to kind of like pull from. Um, and not all of these are 2010s, but I do think are still like of the 2010s zeitgeist musical theater. Wicked meets Evan Hansen meets Book of Mormon meets Hamilton meets Six the Musical. Okay. So, like, that's kind of the general vibe that we're going for. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to use a lot of, like, electronic screens as, like, the backing. Like, we talked about in Ghost and Mean Girls that does it. Like, stuff like Evan Hansen. Um, so, yeah, those, those are just some of the inspirations. So, here's what the musical is going to be. It's called... Let Your Freak Flag Fly oh by Janine Manuel Robert Brown Pask. Oh, you're just bringing this back to Shrek. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I had to throw in one Shrek reference there, but it will make sense. Okay. Um, but it's just like the Janine Tesori, the Lynn Manuel Miranda, the Jason Robert Brown, mm-hmm. the Pask and Paul, like all that vibe. Yes. So the premise is it's about a historical figure. Betsy Ross. Uh, (laughs) Let your freak flag fly. Oh my god. (laughs) Okay. Couldn't you see a musical coming out this decade called like Freak Flag or Let Your Freak Flag Fly or something like that about Betsy Ross? I guess. Actually, (laughs) I'm not sure. Why not? Like, how different from Hamilton is that? No, I was like, I was like, reclaiming, I guess. Like Hamilton was like, we're gonna reclaim slave and founding fathers. And <laughs> well, so yeah, that's the thing. Is part of what I want to, <laughs> part of what I want to do is actually make it kind of problematic. Yes, but like in a way that in the year twenty one hundred, we're looking back and being like, can you believe in twenty twenty <laughs> they used to do this shit? Like that's the vibe. I love it. Um, do you think they'll do that? So it's, to yeah, it's side. <laughs> oh, already are, so. yeah. yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, so I want it to be, like, somewhat genreless, which I feel like is also kind of a theme in musical theater right now, where shows, maybe they're not genreless, but, like, I do think in pop, popular music right now, outside of musical theater, genres are bending and kind of becoming irrelevant, and I think in a way that's, that's starting to happen more mm-hmm. in musical theater as well. Um, so, like, I would want to include all types of music. I definitely would want to have some, like, rap number that's like over the top like Betsy parody Ross of Hamilton rap. vibe. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah, yeah, exactly. Something like that. Betsy Ross as Nicki Minaj vibe or something <laughs> like that. Um yeah, heavily incorporating like screens, like I was saying. Um I I one thing one part of the like problematic quote unquote component I wanna have is I wanna have so obviously this is Betsy Ross the musical. We're not gonna have like a ton of like people I mean we probably will in the cats, but like people of color playing, you know, there's not a lot of people of color in Betsy Ross's life. Um, but I wanted to have, like, one diversity character, kind of like Tricks the Aviatrix mm-hmm. in um, Drowsy Chaperone, and the vibe is, like, Random Black Girl. Um, you know that, that song? song? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so for this, I wanted to have it literally be, which, again, I kind of feel like, is not that out there in terms of, like, recent musicals of the past decade or two, um, have, like, one diversity character that is a gay, black, disabled woman that has a, like, boots the house down 11 o'clock member, uh-huh. like, Jennifer Hudson vibes. Oh 
And that could, that would kind of be like the drowsy chaperone uh-huh. of like, just like, okay, let's just throw it all in one and, and get that out there so that we have sure. a diversity checklist done. <laughs> um, I think it would be funny if there were included like jokes about like technology being updated. Obviously, I don't know what's going to be the case in 2100, sure. but like, we could have like jabs at like iPhones being like what the equivalent of whatever it was in the 20s. <laughs> Um, and then at the end of the day, like the vibe I want to give off is like, just like the same general feel good, bless you, Thank you. story that, that drowsy chaperone is like, at the end of the day, you're not really meant to think too deeply about the content of the drowsy chaperone. Mm-hmm. Um, so the point of this is not to be an actual Betsy Ross musical, a la Hamilton and, and six to an extent i guess which is an actually like a historically accurate thing yeah. but you know what i mean mm-hmm. um but it, it's meant to be a musical centered around betsy ross in like a that is so something that they would have done in the 2010 yeah like that's what i want to go for <laughs> yeah <laughs> so that is the and that would be a part of the man in chair cinematic universe is Drowsy Chaperone is one, and then the next one would be Let Your Free Flag Fly, the Betsy Ross musical. So the vibe is, like, in the year 2100, Man in Chair is still alive, or there's a new version of him or he's something. He's like Wally. And he's, yeah, he's, like, feeling down one day, and it's like, I'm feeling reminiscent of the 2010s. I want to put on my favorite show, Let Your Free Flag Fly, by Janine Manuel Robert Brown Pask. <laughs> About Betsy Ross. Like, that's what I want to go for. <laughs> Perfect. And then at the end, he just goes a little bit better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's it. And it's, like, still an ode to musical theater while also making fun of it in a big way. Um, and he can do – we can have the same interactions. Huh. I was thinking it would be cool. Instead of the, like, record skipping, I'm like, what are the, like, modern versions of that? And I'm like, the, like, FaceTime could be, like uh, – Jaggedy, you know, like really the app, connection. The app just crashes. Right? Yeah, the app <laughs> crashes, like stuff like that. That's great. I love that. That was good. Thank you. All right. Um, next week, I'm excited about this. I'm really excited. <laughs> and I don't think you're excited about mine, but I'm excited about yours and mine. I am excited about both. Okay. Less about yours, but still excited. <laughs> well, whatever. It's going to be great. Okay. So, next week, our category is based on a true story. So these are two, dare I say, polar opposite Very musicals, but they're both based on true stories, yeah. and both are pretty out there true stories. Also, <laughs> I was like, especially one of them. <laughs> I was like, it's a true story. They do take some liberties. I will say we'll discuss, but <laughs> yeah, mine is an actual true. So. Is mine, there's just one thing that happens a day. There are a couple of things, but one big one, which is honestly whatever is beautiful. Okay. <laughs> well, tune in next week to find out what we're talking about. Yes, thank you guys so much. You can follow us on Twitter at LateDebate1, and you can follow us on Instagram at LateDebateRecreate, and TikTok as well. So. Thank you. Well, thank you. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.